0: Chapter 7 of Douglas Duane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Douglas Duane by Edgar Fawcett. Chapter 7. In the following autumn, Adam Hadley breathed his last. The leaves of his life had, so to speak, been turned very tranquilly over, one by one, and at length, had been reached without a whit more hurry than at the beginning of the book i had seen melicent frequently during the summer that preceded her father's death we were ostensibly the best of friends i had no reason to imagine that she dimly surmised my own love for her i must have the trace of it though not under anything like reserve that task would have eclipsed my capabilities i was never less reserved never more expansive and voluble than when in her company I knew that she had pronounced me much more amusing than she had previously supposed me to be. Demond had come to me one day with this bit of tidings fresh from her lovely lips. He no doubt thought it would diffuse in especial cheer and gladness, having jovially informed me, not long ago, that Millicent had really taken a great liking to me. But these words had been merely a dagger to stab me with. I had grown, after a fashion, quite used to such wounds by this i received as a rule at least one each day but in the very teeth of such mockery as that i was amusing to millicent i continued my uncharacteristic buoyancy and volatility it was a sort of incessant acted part with me and of necessity its performance took me out of myself if i had had to present myself before this woman whom i loved as perpetually the man who loved her to destruction and who concealed his adoration under the mantle of a sober restraint I should soon have found my role insupportable. After all, there may have been a dreary left-handed triumph, too, in the gracious approval she gave me. Even such a hopeless attachment as mine has its vanities no less than its despairs. Yet the former, if such a name befitted them, brought me but a shadowy contentment. They were like nothing so much as the mere vapory mirage of a paradise forever lost, And like the mirage they would soon fade. I had resolved upon peremptorily banishing the chill thin phantom of their comfort. My mind was made up on the subject of permanently leaving New York as a place of residence. I had almost determined at one time of making Europe my future home but considerations relating to my large property here at length altered this intention. Since my return from abroad i had sojourned for a few weeks in washington the agreeable climate of our capital combined with its attributes of social vivacity and brilliancy had greatly won my taste society like that of washington with its cosmopolitan latitude and its necessitated freedom from silly caprices of unrepublican caste appealed to me forcibly it would be pleasant to live near that barriolet throng i had decided even if one never participated in either its merry or its more grave modes of enjoyment. And so, after some deliberation, I had concluded to purchase a house on Pennsylvania Avenue and to make, for at least a few years, Washington my fixed headquarters. Demot's marriage with Millicent had been arranged to take place in the month following Mr. Hadley's death. I longed to escape the ordeal of witnessing this marriage, "'but my friend would, as I well knew, have met with grieved amaze "'any announcement on my own part that I contemplated an absence from the ceremony. "'True, I could have torn myself away at the last moment. "'But might not such a step, in consideration of Demotte's deep regard for me, "'have given him his first true glimpse of what I had long so successfully hidden? "'And I had now a wretched kind of pride in wearing my mask till the end.' how humiliating if at this late hour it should fall from the dejection and infelicity it had thus far capably shielded no i would stay i would stay on till the bitter end and bitter it indeed was Demotte had actually no real friends save myself his retiring disposition was the sole cause of this he might with his name and place in the metropolitan world of things "'have gathered about him hosts of intimate associates, "'but he had chosen otherwise, "'or rather his nature had chosen for him. "'And so the wedding, when it finally occurred at Grace Church, "'one rainy November morning, was private in the extreme. "'There were not, I think, more than fifteen people "'in the dim, reposeful interior of the beautiful "'and memory-haunted little church on Broadway, "'when Millicent Hudley became Millicent demott "'Nearly all these people I was well aware Demod would have preferred away, but imperative considerations of kinship had made their presence almost indispensable. Most of them, I fancied, looked on the match as a woefully bad one for so matrimonial a party as their first, second, or third cousin. Adam Hadley had not been a person of the least consequence from their Knickerbockers' point of patrician judgment. They were ten aches and Vandaviers and Vandams and persons of that exalted dutch extraction oh if they could only have seen in the flesh some of the dead dutch grandfathers they were so proud of adam hadley had left his big library it was true which might or might not go off well at auction provided his posthumous son-in-law did not philologically retain it but what else had he left merely a few thousands of dollars perhaps and floyd their floyd with his clean twenty thousand a year and his irreproachable position ought to have taken some girl of his own caste, provided he did not take one with a weighty and all-exonerating dower. So they either addressed me, or, seemed to address me, I am not just sure which it was, I felt too indifferent to their sanction or non sanction of the nuptials for the cultivation of any accurate observance of either. I only remembered and realized that day the almost epical sorrow it brought me, Millicent looked angelic in her satin and her pearls. Afterward at her home, I saw her for a little while, in her travelling dress. Her eyes were sparkling. A wild rose colour dwelt in her cheeks. She gave me her hand at farewell, and said some gay, sweet, timid words that just suited the bride she had become. I hated the words. They were so agonisingly friendly, so distressingly appreciative. I tried to forget them afterwards as I tried to forget Dermot's warm handclasp in the carriage door, when he and his wife were about starting on that mysterious voyage into transient obscurity, which we call a wedding tour. It was over at last, and I felt miserably relieved to think that it was. I endeavoured at once to absorb myself in preparations for my departure. I had already hinted to Dermot that Washington would be henceforth the city of my abode, but he had received from me no distinct assurance to that effect as it was i wished that on his return to new york with his wife he might find me departed and yet an obstacle to this course presented itself unexpectedly to pack my precious and frangible instruments would involve both time and care but just at this period other matters which concerned the management of my estate were forced upon my attention the departure must be set forward since my lawyers Would not grant me postponement of their special claims upon both my leisure and my empireship and so it happened that on the return of mr and mrs demott i was still in new york it gave me a good deal of surprise to learn after their arrival that the little basement house in second avenue was not to be exchanged for a smarter or more centrally located dwelling yes demott answered me as we sat in his small smoking-room together one evening during the very week of their return we think we shall be rather more comfortable here than in any finer or larger house. "'But I thought you would mix a little in the world,' I said. "'I don't just know what gave me the idea. I had it, however, and having it, I suppose that I instinctively invested your domestic air with an influence of dances and dinners.' Dermot gave a sharp start, and then shifted almost petulantly in his chair. "'Dances and dinners?' he muttered. "'You recall, Douglas, how I detest them.' "'Well,' I laughed, "'you've not much room for the former, however you might feel about the latter, "'and your wife's mourning needn't interfere with at least some such social festivity, "'that is, after a few more weeks have gone by.' "'Demot looked at me with a sudden anxiety. "'My dear Douglas,' he exclaimed, "'I hope you won't say a word of this sort to Millicent.' "'Of course not,' I returned. "'Why should I?' "'He sank backward in his chair.' "'and used his cigar with a suggestion of appeased disturbance. "'Why should you truly, for no reason, none in the world? "'Look here, my good friend. "'I don't at all want Millicent to mingle in society. "'I don't like society. "'I rather shrink from it, as you're aware. "'We shall be very happy down here in this little hiding-place of ours, "'I don't doubt, that is, if you will drop in upon us occasionally, "'and dine, and prove our nice, faithful chum. "'Whenever you do appear, you'll be immensely welcome.' I ought not even to tell you that, Douglas. You must feel so sure of it already. But gutting about among the toms, dicks, and Harris of gay life, not a bit of it, thank you. And to have these frivolous people at one's own house means to show up ceremonially at theirs. No, I wish to keep Millicent from all that humbug. And I am almost certain she hasn't the least possible liking for it. I should be very sorry if I thought she had. She was very quietly brought up, I said looking at the wall that can't be denied no you're right it can't it certainly can't she imbibed quiet household notions from her girlish training so much the better that was one of her great charms for me i sometimes think it was why such a homespun retiring fellow as i am should ever have asked her to marry me at all those books filling nearly every room of that clinton place house where she was born and reared have had their gentle composing effect upon her He turned toward me at this point in his rapid succession of sentences, looking at me with an eagerness of inquiry for which I was somehow not unprepared. "'Don't you agree with my views?' he queried. "'Don't you think I take a perfectly fair estimate of Millicent's tranquil and simple tendencies?' "'Oh, yes,' I said. "'And about the library her father left. You haven't room for it here, have you?' "'Not as it was stowed by her father,' he quickly responded." "'but there are a good many books I don't particularly care for. "'There will be space for those I want on these shelves,' "'he waved one hand toward the low bookcases on almost every side of him, "'and upstairs in my library proper. "'It's wonderful what accommodation for books we can get "'by building our shelves a foot or two higher. "'As for the other books, those I don't care for, "'I have two unused rooms in my attic, where I shall store them, "'pile them up, I may say, from floor to ceiling.' "'You understand just what I mean, eh?' "'I did not, by any means. "'The library of Adam Hadley had been a superb one. "'This little basement-house in Second Avenue was in no manner fitted adequately to unfold its treasures. "'If Demet had bought or hired a residence that contained one or two apartments large enough for their worthy disposition, "'such an act would have been wholly in keeping with the bibliophile that he was.' the plan which he now informed me of seemed in every way different from what any one who knew him as well as i knew him would have thought that he stood the least chance of adopting but a little later the whole truth burst upon me that jealousy which i had before observed in him when it was merely relative to his friendship had now asserted an entirely new strength of manifestation he loved millicent as just such a man as he was could only love he abhorred the idea of permitting her to associate with either men or women, who were her equals, her rightful companions. He desired that she should be immured down there in the second avenue home, and that I, whom he deemed so harmless and so entirely exempt from his tyrannic aims and ordinations, should henceforth become the sole intimate associate of his wife and himself. This struck me as a new satiric stroke on the part of my peculiar destiny. I began to look upon my departure for Washington as indefinitely deferred, Millicent always had such a warm and sweet smile waiting for me. Why, after all, should I go? As wide a gulf stretched between us here as that which miles of intervening distance could make. Besides, a new condition of affairs had sprung up between herself and me. I represented all the human intercourse outside of that with her own husband which she was permitted unmolestedly to enjoy. All others she must secure for herself, either in the teeth of protest or in the shadow of its frown. By the time that her first few months of more funereal mourning gear had expired, she naturally sought to become on better terms with her husband's relatives. They had all paid visits of formality and etiquette upon her, but she wished to know at least some of them in a far different way. Floyd Demet promptly developed, however, a mauvaise langue of the cruelest sort in speaking of his kindred. Oh, Millicent certainly could never stand his aunt Veer. She was a most autocratic and restricted being. She thought every branch of necessary knowledge was to be found among the branches of her family tree. And Tansent Tanaik? Ah, he was such a dense popinjay! If he meant anything, it was the American snob in full flower. It used to be said of him that he had one eating sorrow in life, namely, that he hadn't been born either the Duke of New York or the Earl of Manhattan those two van damme girls with their bangs and their simper and their eyeglasses chronically flying up to their little yellow-lashed eyes they were frivolity and burlesque they would never do for more than ten minutes at a time the tire of them was to remember that a practical day only consisted after all of twelve hours and so on in highly uncharitable epigram till poor millicent realized that every name on the rather limited list had a relentless black mark set over against it but her loyalty to her husband continued as unshaken as her love. She made no attempt to quarrel with his edicts of intolerance. It seemed to sadden her that he should have been so unfortunate as regarded those with whom the bonds of blood connected him. Whatever doubts his assertions may have wakened, she kept hidden, behind a meek and sweet tranquillity. Still, her disappointment was evident to me. I felt confident— that she had expected in marrying Demet a change from the old eventless monotony of previous years the girl in her nature was not yet an old it might not be for a long time henceforth she had married wretchedly for one to whom repressions like these were irksome she was still devoted to her husband as i watched them together i marveled at the unweakened stability of her fondness Here again was presented to me one of the incongruous features of our mundane lot. Floyd Demet, wholly undeserving of such allegiance, nevertheless received it as though it were his rightful due, and I, well, my thoughts would sometimes be intentionally broken off and restrained when I slipped toward the drawing of a parallel between his deserts and my own. I did not wish to hate the husband of the woman whom I still unalteringly loved, i would often seek to assure myself that i yet held him in warm regard but perhaps the mere putting forth of such inward effort was proof that i strove to impose upon myself by a covert falsehood all this time i was deeply occupied with my scientific reading and my most detailed and arduous experiments visits at the house of demod were my sole sources of relaxation Frequently, I would double with my chemicals and test the four forces of my many and complicated instruments from early morning until far past midnight, enduring one such interval of protracted labour that conviction which had for months existed formless and inchoate in my mind assumed startling clearness. It was nearly one o'clock in the morning; my laboratory was still as death, save for the clicking caused by an electrical current of great strength in a machine invented by myself i trembled with awe as i drew backward from the gleaming glasses and metals of this machine it had suddenly taken for me a frightful and majestic individuality in my nervous and overworked state i would scarcely have been surprised if it had resolved itself into some visible figure dusky and with a gaze of white fire like the guardian at a threshold of truth hitherto uncrossed by mortal foot i had discovered a totally new electrical law of this there could not remain with me now the faintest vestige of doubt. Galvani, Volta, Morse, Ampere, Rumkorf, and a course of others, whom one could name haphazard like this, what had they ever dreamt of accomplishing fit to be named beside my own marvelous reach of pure induction? A new property, a wholly unprophesied and unimagined quality, of the monstrous and all-permeating power which we call electricity had revealed itself through me, Douglas Duane. The telegraph, the telephone, the electric light, and all other manifestations of the supreme wonder were as pitiable commonplaces of science, when compared with the masterly breadth and profundity of this message to mankind. It was true. I had found it at last. I had so often failed that the sword which should cut the gordian knot of our human existence lay in this wild, alert, unintelligible ardor, than which nature has none other, at once more appalling and more mysterious. Every step of my process, every particular of my method, every verification of my novel and peerless announcement, will be found in the purely technical treatise yet to be written. May I only leave to complete that treatise? since without it i well know that a thousand sceptics will rise up against the testimony here offered roughly told so that they who understand little of science may obtain something like a moderate apprehension of what i had achieved the result of my long and severe toil may be thus presented i had discovered that massed charges of electricity can be transmitted from the molecules of one body to those of another after the latter body has been deprived of all electrical receptivity, save to a single special kind of charge, induced and concentrated by myself. Alas! How like a rushlight shows any attempted elucidation when science is deprived of her own terse, exact tongue and must speak in one as alien as mere rhetorical generalizing! Would Caselli have found it easy to explain his renowned pantelegraph among those who were ignorant of how the mighty laws whence he had derived it are mentioned and discussed and yet did not even many of his fellow servants assail him for years with the most discouraging scoffs it is sometimes harder to teach those who already know than those quite unlettered still my coming document cannot fail in clarity for those whose former training permits them to understand its professional treatment and its authentic drift one more step as i told myself there in the still dead of night remained to be taken my theory vast as it was had been established it was now fact during my final experiments that very night i had reduced a broad-leaved sturdy stemmed plant to a sudden condition of collapse of thorough vegetable death a few minutes later within the large oval glass repository where i had insulated it I had seen, after instantaneous application of the new electricity which I had learned how to set free from a combination of certain chemicals, the plant almost slip again into its original health and thrift. But this was not all. The extraordinary charge had been thus unbound from one captivity to enter another. It had penetrated and permeated the tissue of the effete, lifeless plant, being wrung by a single intense decomposing convulsion from its former stronghold now remained the next height of discovery, more easy for me to scale, perhaps, than I had hitherto dreamed. But here, rapid misgiving, darted through my mind. Had I really conferred on this plant a vitalization as intimately mordant and molecular as I had supposed it to be dowered with? Hell as it looked now in its glass receptacle, how would it stand ordinary atmospheric contact and pressure? Acting on this thought, I at once released it, In less than twenty seconds it began to droop, until presently I so passed it out by its re-established languor that the hardiness bestowed upon it, though genuine enough amid the surroundings I had first imposed, had now shown itself a most evanescent stimulus. Still, the grasp upon its atomic organism had been for a time firmly effective, something which the idealists would surely have called an inspiration must at this point have seized me my chamber contained two or three other plants of about equal size with that which i had just used i went to one of these a handsome thrifty agapanthus umbellatus, and unearthed it from its pot i replaced the dead growth which by the way had been a really superb specimen of hydrangea quercifolia in the glass receptacle then i brought about in my apparatus the necessary dynamic exertion suddenly while its effort was at full work I plunged the fresh living plant within that peculiar chemical solution whence I had been able to obtain my first astonishing galvanic results. No further success crowned this last venture, or at least I so decided immediately after I had removed the hydrangea from the insulating glass. The savage and wreathing liquid had swiftly consumed all traces of the agapanthus, as a scrap of delicate paper is consumed in a glowing coal grate but the other plant it had been vivified as before and now on meeting the air of the room it began as before to wilt but life did not wholly leave it twice it had been dead once through my own deliberate killing of it through the paralysis of its germs by means of the new force i had mastered and once through its exposure to the common oxygen but now again exposed it retained a kind of drowsy consumptive animation Impossible to discredit. I let ten, fifteen, twenty minutes pass, eagerly watching its foliage. No, it still lived, though in a sickly, spiritless way. I at length fell to pacing the floor of the laboratory in the deepest and most exasperating perplexity. Had the vital principle of the destroyed plant sped with its own material dissolution into the fibrous texture of that which yet survived? by the simple act of plunging the agapanthus into what so mercilessly disintegrated it had i not fraught my electrical charge with an entirely unanticipated pungency and yet the transmission had only been partial the hydrangea still hung dejectedly its stately head how aggravating how maddening was this rebuff at the very threshold of victory i had given the plant fresh life and that truth alone was sufficient to make me a prince among discoverers but it was not enough it was not what i had aspired for it was achievement frosted by failure some other man would come after me who would build a structure of fame on my foundations who would use me for a guardpost to immortality he would rear a palace as it were from the very stone i had quarried and hewn agitated by reflections like this i chanced to let my gaze fall on the other plants ranged in their verdant symmetry near one of the windows and then like a flush, I became conscious of a possible reason for my late seeming defeat. A second hydrangea, almost exactly resembling the one I had subjected to so harsh a course of treatment, gleamed gracefully among its companions. Once more I put the blighted plant within glass confines, made good the connections of the machine, and then dropped into its path of destruction the beautiful plumes of leafage which invested the flourishing and intact growth. A shrill hish followed, as the fierce fluid devoured this fair gift dipped into its baleful tongue, and now, again, I turned toward its less perfect sister, plainly seen behind the glass. For a third time it had regained its native health and beauty. I withdrew it from the glass, and for a third time waited what would happen. Nothing at all happened. The plant preserved one aspect of unchanging revivification— It had received the vital essence of something which was of its own vegetable species it had received the same vital essence from another plant not of its own species but had for this reason been unable to retain the projected vitalization the molecular receptivity which i had prepared in it had shown me a new vague law of repulsion and one touching upon that protection of species in animals concerning which darwin has had so much irrefutably to assert well i asked myself with a great swelling at the heart after all was over what had i actually done the answer came to me distinct and direct i had in the first place found a totally new way of dealing with electricity and had caught from the mysteries lying beyond all science a new electrical agent whose birth was due to my own genius of discovery this last sentence may seem to flavor of egotism let it do so my genius is to myself a mental admission which no dissension criticism may affect the treatise yet unwritten will make everything clear as day and the writing of this treatise will depend solely on my physical capacity to undertake it if by any chance i should fail to perform that additional work after i have completed this then the very science on which i base every assertion here advanced may possibly be avowed fabulous but i shall not fail I shall make my confessions flawlessly credible the night as i have said reigned mute around me when this last great conviction of conquest pressed into my mind an awe had now filled and swayed me i stood alone with a phantom as one might say summoned from unconjectured deeps the very intensity of the silence bore upon me i thought of the woman i loved pursed though i was with other keenly opposite sensations I could not escape such remembrance i might hate it but it was still sure assertively to push itself into my consciousness and yet i abruptly asked myself while i sat there fatigued and excited in my unquestionable triumph why should millicent's face thus intrude upon me what had millicent to do with the grand discovery i had made she could never share its glory she was demod's wife not mine she a horrible shudder passed through me at this instant. I rose and tottered weakly toward the still, cold, mechanical evidence of that marvelous law which I, Douglas Duane, had so strangely excavated from the glooms of the unknowable. Was there a God? I had not proved that there was not, with all my atheistic proclivities. Was there a soul, a human soul? I had neither proved nor disproved a human soul. But I had proved beyond the last imaginable protest of the materialist that in lower orders of life vitality was transmissible from one vegetable form to another i will stop there i cried aloud amid the stillness i was still thinking of millicent it seemed to me then that i dared not go further if i had shot the life of one plant into the body of another why should i not be able to shoot the soul of a fellow creature into I staggered toward the window, still thinking of Millicent, of my love for her, of my unmeasured desire to possess her as my own. I faintly recall that I tried to lift the sash of the window and failed. My brain whirled frightfully. I recollect amid my fading mentality that I had dared to dream of putting my own soul into Floyd Demotte's body. The dawn was streaming into the laboratory when I became thoroughly awake and at the same time aware of what had occurred. I must have lain semi-unconscious for a long time. I now rose feebly from the floor. I felt very weak. I was still thinking of Millicent. It seemed as if I had been thinking of her through all this term of lethargy. And yet certain strange words were on my lips, as if I had been repeating them amid a dream. Save me from that, I was murmuring. Whatever happens... Let me not dare to dream of that End of Chapter Seven.